the Sleeper and the Bust. I am your host, Paul Spore, here for a special edition today. It's a guest episode, a.k.a. a guest episode, and it features MLB.com's Mike Petriello. You may remember Mike from Fangraphs, and I, I wanted to have him on to leverage his StatCast insight from a, you know, from a fantasy angle and maybe highlight some guys whose metrics are pointing to some improved performance. We've got guys who um, you know, are maybe a little bit more known, uh, maybe a little bit mid-tier, and then at the end, he gives us a really off-the-radar guy who could sneak up uh, for some saves for an AL team this year. You can follow Mike on Twitter at Mike Pet- underscore Petriello. That's P-E-T-R-I-E-L-L-O. Of course, you can follow me at Sporer. That's S-P-O-R-E-R. And we'd love to hear from you. Please rate and review the, the podcast on iTunes. We greatly appreciate that. And, of course, you can email the show, sleeperpod at gmail.com. You guys have been killing it with those emails. Again, I stress that if you have a keeper question – Chances are it's not going to get on the air because it's just so specific to you. That said, I am trying to go through and answer some of them. If I don't get to yours, I apologize. In fact, if you have a keeper question that you can kind of easily convey on Twitter, I'll I'll definitely hit those up. Uh, Otherwise, we're looking for more kind of broad topics for the the emails, and we'll be doing a couple of those per show. As far as these guest episodes go, uh, we're looking to do more of those as well. So if you have some folks – from the you know baseball industry doesn't necessarily have to be fantasy uh, you know if we can leverage guys who are in baseball for something else with a fantasy angle like we're doing here with Mike uh, in a stat cast then by all means go ahead and suggest that so of course you can send those on the email or Twitter uh, how, however you'd like to let us know anyway without further ado here's Mike wait I'm back I got one more thing before I get to Mike I wanted to mention that the audio was a little choppy here and there. Um, the setup that we had uh, wasn't ideal, but I think you can make out all of it. I, I kind of uh, re-listened to most of it, and you know, there's some parts that are a little bit clunky, but I think all the general points come through. If you have questions about anything that you couldn't hear, if there's a specific point, just let me know, and I'll try to clear it up for you. Um, again, we're just a little bit of a technical hiccup there that we had to deal with, but I think it all still came out pretty well. Anyway, now here's Mike for real. I'm joined by Mike Petriello of MLB.com and MLB Network, and many of you no doubt remember him from the very pages of Fangraphs. In fact, Mike, your last piece on April 23rd for us wound up being quite prescient, as it was about the problematic Cleveland defense, which would plague the starters all year long. Mike, how's it going? Thanks for being on. Things are great. How are you, Paul? Not too bad. I'm actually super psyched, as you probably know, and, and, and the listeners know, I'm a Detroit Tigers fan, and uh, we're talking shortly after the uh, news came out that they signed Justin Upton, so I'm, I'm, I'm pretty excited about that. I think, uh, it should be. I think it's a great deal. I really thought it was a sharp deal there. 22 mil uh, just doesn't seem, or yeah, I think it was 22 mil when it, the final figure came out. That just doesn't seem too bad. There's the, the standard opt-out that we're seeing all year, but uh, I think it's a pretty sharp deal. You, did, you liked it as well then? I mean, I think it's a steal for like $130 million for a team that badly needed an outfielder. You look at that lineup. I mean, I know it's right-handed, but top to bottom, that lineup is uh, it's going to be incredible next year. That's the thing. The fit really worked, too. They needed somebody for that outfield, and that's exactly what they got. Mike, I wanted to have you on because of the great work you've been doing with StatCast, both on MLB.com and then integrating it on MLB Network when you're on with Brian Kenny on MLB Now and things like that. And, uh, you know, I think 
that StatCast, obviously, we're still kind of in the infancy of it and learning from it. But I do think that there is some maybe fantasy al- application to it, which we're very thrilled uh, thrilled about here. And that's why I wanted to have you on. Talk about a few guys who might be showing some numbers in their StatCast profiles that kind of pretend some potential future fantasy value. And I want to start with someone who I've always liked, but uh, the expectations have not been lived up to after a big 2014 season. Marcelo Zuna really fell back in 2015. He, he basically emulated what he was in 2013, which was a below league average player, you know, 124 ISO, just 10 home runs. And yet he was still top 50 in hard hit percentage, sitting 43rd out of 146, 176 batters with at least 450 plate appearances. Is there still reason to believe in Marcelo Zuna based on some of the hard hit data that we're seeing from him? Yeah, I'm a huge fan of Marcelo Zuna. Uh, I, I would say the uh, the source data for the hard hit stuff on Fangraphs and, and StatCast data is very different. Uh, you know, a lot of times they correlate and, and not always. But for Ozuna, what stood out to me is uh, he was one of the top 20 guys in exit velocity. And you know, you could say top 20, top 30 based on where you put the minimums. But I put it for 100 batted balls. Okay. Uh, that got 372 players. He was, I think, 19, which wow. is really, really good. I mean, that means he's crushing the ball. Wow. Yeah. What's that to me is you look at the other top twenty guys. Uh, yeah, I was say, you look at the top twenty guys, uh, and it's guys who are crushing the ball. You know, Stanton and Sano and Schwarber and Bautista. Everybody else in the top twenty list had uh, an above average season, and in some cases considerably above average, except for Marcelo Zuna. Uh, and so that really stood out to me. How is that possible? How could a guy hitting the ball that hard not have uh, production? And when you kind of dig into the way his season went, there's some ups and downs. Uh, I really have a long on a hope that that's, that's something that's going to turn around for him next year. He's going to hit the ball hard and see production. How much concern is there for the fact that he, he has held a 46, 49, and 48% ground ball rates? Is it maybe just a matter of getting some loft? Because it seems to me like Ozuna's power would play anywhere, even the cavernous Miami Stadium, like teammate Giancarlo Stanton. Well, you, you really hit the nail on the head there because that's kind of the answer to the question, right? Like, how do you hit the ball that hard and not find production? Well, there's two ways. One is if you're striking out all the time because you're not going to hit the ball hard if you're not hitting the ball. It wasn't really his problem, uh, but you're absolutely right. It's, it's, he was hitting the ball into the ground. And so if you look at his season last year before his demotion, 55% grounder rate, which is not good for a guy like that. After his demotion or after his return, 38% grounder rate. And that's, that's a big difference. All of a sudden, those ground balls started turning into line drives. Uh, before his demotion, he had a 75-weighted runs created plus. After it was a 115-weighted runs created plus, which is exactly what he had in 2014 when everybody loved him. So, you know, you look at that demotion, I know there's a lot of shenanigans about was it service time related, you know, maybe, maybe not. But he came back, and he wasn't so much a different player as he was the player we'd seen the year before. And so that really gives me a lot of hope. Yes, that's what gives me hope, too, is that we have seen it. We're not just projecting entirely on Ozuna. We're just saying get back to the level you were at, maybe kind of mature a little bit uh, physically, and you know, get a little bit better at the game. You guys in their mid-20s, 25, 26, they kind of have a better feel. Their slumps aren't as long, if they're developing, of, of course, is what I'm saying. And I think, and you can tell me if I'm crazy, is there a 30 homer potential here for Marcelo Ozuna? Uh, I like it a lot better if he wasn't playing in that ballpark. But fair, <laughs> fair. I- I think he's still going to be productive. And, you know, what's funny is when you look at his season last year, obviously when he got sent down, his line looked terrible. But for, like, the first two months or so of the season, he was basically a league average hitter. And then he got about one hit in the next three weeks right before he went down. That right there completely torpedoed his line. So I I think that he's a lot better than he looked. And I don't know if the Marlins have faith in him, but I certainly do. 
Yeah, I'm, I'm with you there. I want to move on to a pitcher that I have a ton of faith in, and a lot of folks probably do. This is not necessarily a hidden guy like a Marcelo Zuna maybe for some folks, but Garrett Richards had the highest spin rate in baseball on his curveball, and, and you had written about that, and it prompted him to tweet uh, and simply ask, is that good? Is that a good thing? Uh, what did you find when you looked to see if that was a good thing for Garrett Richards and his curveball? Yeah, it, it, it is a good thing. Uh, it's funny, he's actually in the top 10 on about four different pitches. And so wow. It, it, I've read somewhere, and this, this might just be hearsay because I can't remember where I read it, but he was asked about it once and said he doesn't do it on purpose. He just thinks he has extremely long fingers, and that's what does it. I don't know if that's true or not, but that's what he says. Uh, as far as curveball spin goes, yeah, he's got the highest on his curveball. And uh, it's interesting because, you know, spin rate is something we learned a lot about this year because some of the other stuff stat cats can measure, you know, like how hard can an outfielder throw. It's stuff you can see, right? But you can't mm-hmm. see spin rate. So this is all, like, brand new. Uh, and we learned a lot about it for fastballs. We learned that high spin on fastballs gets strikeouts and uh, fly balls and low spin gets grounders. It's actually the exact opposite for curveball, which makes sense if you think about it because the ball is spinning the reverse way when you're throwing curveball. You're trying to get it to drop. So he had the highest spin on his curveball, and he had the second highest movement on his curveball, and that's pretty good. Vertical movement on a curveball is exactly what you want. And I, I don't have his numbers in front of me, but he gave up something like you know four hits on the curveball season long. It's it's such a dirty pitch. I think that there's a lot of strikeout upside in Richard's profile here, precisely because of some of what you're talking about with the spin rate. He was down to just 20% last year after a 24% mark in 2014. Is Richard somebody that you think can be a strikeout per inning guy for 200 plus innings over a full season? Yeah, he's got it all, right? I mean, he throws hard. He's got multiple plus pitches. Uh, I agree with you. I was a little surprised to see that the strikeouts weren't there last year. I don't know. This is pure speculation. You know how much of it was him trying to get up to speed after the knee injury that was mm-hmm. all year. Maybe he wasn't. You know, he was holding back. Like, again, I don't really know. I, I agree with you that I thought we were going to get more, but I like the fact that he gets strikeouts and he gets grounders. You know, so I think for a guy like that with all those skills, and we saw him do it before he got hurt in 2014, he was looking like an ace. Uh, so again, like Azuna, this is a guy we've seen do it before. He's still young. He's still got a lot of talent. He's definitely someone that I think is going to be a a big part of that team. Yeah, I'll be be betting big on him this year. I think Richard's going at a a nice value in the fantasy market for the upside that we're getting. I want to move on to uh, the Colorado situation. The signing of Gerardo Parra has many believing that a trade is nigh for Colorado because they've now got four left-handed outfielders. And that makes a lot of sense. And uh, obviously all three of their incumbents, Carlos Gonzalez, Charlie Blackman, and Corey Dickerson, are desirable. But I think if if they're ranking who they'd want to trade, Carlos Gonzalez is probably at the top of the list coming off a 40-homer season. This just seems like the perfect time to sell the oft-injured outfielder. Of course, anytime that something like that comes up, the first thing that we talk about is, well, is this guy a Coors creation? Is he gonna is he gonna collapse when he leaves? What did you see when you looked to see if some of these guys, including Carlos Gonzalez, are Coors creations? Yeah, I really like writing about the Rockies because every time I do, the Rockies fans who follow me are all so thrilled that a national writer is actually paying attention to their team. <laughs> so, you know, it's it really, it makes me feel good. Uh, but you're right. Everybody says, well, Coors Field creation, right? You know, it's this much in Coors Field and, and not so great when you leave. And while that's true, I don't think it's for the reason everybody thinks it is. They think it's because when you're in Coors Field, the ball goes X and out further. Uh, and there's some truth to that and that they just can't hit at sea level. And what we've kind of found is that there's almost a hangover effect of being a Rocky. And what that means is you can't really just double the road stats and say, well, this is what he'd do if he wasn't playing in Coors Field, because there's some evidence that even just having Coors Field as your home field then makes your road stats worse than they'd be anyway. 
because you're seeing pitches that move differently. Uh, you're seeing you know more fastballs at Coors Field, so you can be more aggressive knowing you're probably going to get a fastball because nobody trusts their breaking pitches. And then you go on the road, you start seeing these breaking pitches more often and that move more, and you're just not used to that. And so you, we've seen a couple of guys who have left. Uh, Matt Holiday is a good example. You know, Obviously, their home stats in their new home ballparks aren't as good, but their road stats tend to trend up too. So it kind of counteracts some of that. And uh, it's been really interesting to see that you know, there hasn't been a ton of examples because you know, they haven't been around that long and there haven't been a lot of guys who've left. But you look at Holiday, uh, Dexter Fowler, Chris Nyanetta, after they left, their road stats actually got better, even though their home stats dropped. So it almost evened out. So you think that uh, if somebody like Carlos Gonzalez was traded, we would we shouldn't necessarily assume that there's going to be this drop off. I wonder if he might not be a fit to follow in the trend of previous Colorado outfielders, both Larry Walker and Matt Holliday, and wind up with the Cardinals. Do you think he'd be a good fit for a team like that? I think the Cardinals. Yeah, I mean they they kind of had a disappointing off season if you look at it. They right? really Obviously have. They lost Hayward to the Cubs. Lance uh, Lane got hurt. Yadi Molina is still hurt. It's funny, that was a real, that division was a three-team race last year, and I think not only have the Cubs taken a step forward, the Pirates and the Cardinals have taken a step backwards. Absolutely. So I think there's a real gap there. Uh, as far as cargo to the Cardinals, I think that makes perfect sense. I think there's no good reason that he shouldn't be there, with the only exception being Baltimore probably makes just as much sense in my point of view. But whether it's one bird or another bird, I think he's got to be on one of those teams, and I don't see any reason why, especially now having signed another lefty outfielder in Parra, they should keep Dick, uh, Dick Gonzalez uh, when the season starts. I think the beauty from a fantasy standpoint is that if Cargo were traded, his price would immediately go down because no matter what, no matter people hearing this or reading your piece about it, there's just going to be something in their minds that drops him down, and I think then Carlos Gonzalez would become a nice little fantasy value. Last thing I asked you for, Mike, was uh, if you – one thing I've become fascinated with was a low exit velocity. We're talking about the exit velocity for hitters. I like talking about exit velocity for pitchers, the guys who are inducing weak contact. We talk about it a lot. Obviously, we use it at FanGraphs. So you know, and I talk about it on the show. And I, I tasked you with uh, coming up with somebody, kind of a sneaky low exit velocity pitcher that, uh, that, that is intriguing you. Who did you come up with for us? All right, this, is a, this is a deep cut here, a real deep cut. Uh, I like that. I, you know, I don't know from whether he's going to get saved or not, but he's just someone who interests me. Andrew Faulkner of the Texas Rangers. Oh, Probably wow. not someone anybody knows. Do you even know him? Have you ever have you heard of him? Um, I've heard the name only because I live in Texas, but I don't know a single thing about him. I just knew that that name, those two names paired together, I knew that was a baseball name. That's right. Well, there's really no reason why you should know him, but he's a really interesting guy. The reason I chose him is because I looked at, at yeah, exit velocity and uh, I looked at four-seam fastball, and he had – it, granted, in not the world's largest sample size, uh, the lowest average exit velocity against 79.7 miles an hour. Wow. Uh, the, the average is about 88, and some guys are over 90. You know, like I said, he only pitched a handful of innings, but that alone wouldn't be enough for me to, to look at him and say, wow, this guy's cool. But when you actually look at him, uh, he's a lefty who throws 95 miles an hour, but he was in the minors as a starting pitcher, and he was, you know, fine, whatever. Uh, about halfway through the season in double-A last year, they moved him to the bullpen, shoots up through double-A, triple-A, and then spent September with the Rangers. And so this is a, the stat line I've got for here is a combination of all three of those levels after being moved to the bullpen. 31 innings, uh, 115 ERA, 191 on-base percentage against, and <laughs> 31 innings and 38 strikeouts. Oh, uh, wow. So he's getting whiffs and he's not allowing hard contact. Again, not the hugest sample size, so maybe the teams start to see him more and it doesn't last, but that's that's kind of the, the fun thing to do with StatCast is, you know, it's great to say Aroldis Chapman and Giancarlo Stanton are gods. We kind of know that. 
but I like zeroing in on some of these guys like Randall Grinchick, for example. You know, Statcast legend. Carter Caps is a Statcast legend. Uh, that's kind of what I find the most fun. So I Andrew Puff. No, I love that name, and I'll tell you specifically why from a fantasy standpoint. First off, we're always trolling for the next closer. Don't tell me about who's closing right now. I want to know the guy who's closing two guys down the road. But you honed in on a situation, whether you did it on purpose or not, that's a little bit shaky. I feel like the Rangers don't fully trust Sean Tullison. They were involved tangentially in some Chapman rumors. They've been involved in Andrew Miller rumors. Uh, They were involved in some Ken Giles rumors. It seemed any closer that was available, they were at least involved in the mix with some of the rumors. So I don't know that they love Tolleson. Speaking of Tolleson, who even knew about him this time last year? So we're talking about guys that can come up out of nowhere. I love this. A 22-year-old, he, he did have a 25% strikeout, right? You, you said it, small sample, but getting the low exit velo and keeps the ball on the ground more than he doesn't, 1.5 ground ball to fly ball. I like it. Andrew Faulkner, keep him. Keep his name on your list, folks. It's a, it's a deep cut, as Mike said. But I really do like it when you're trolling for saves out there. Mike, i got to thank you so much for, for giving us some of your time to talk about Absolutely. StatCast and identify some of, these, uh, some of these hidden gems. I would like to have you on again during the season, if that's all right. Paul, anytime. And, you know, I can't let you go. i got to ask, how's the dog doing? Oh, she's great. Charlotte, uh, she's not in here right now because she would definitely be squeaking her toy. But uh, she's bothering my girlfriend, uh, who's, who's a little under the weather. And I, I can't get enough of the dog. I really can't. If anyone follows me on social media, you know that. I, I post like five pictures a day. But I haven't gotten any complaints yet, so I'm pretty okay with it. Well, I was going to say, well, I obviously respect your, your baseball acumen. Half of the reason I follow you is for the puppy pictures. So I'm completely fine with that. Uh, before it was Curtis, my beagle, and now, now it's the, the dachshund. I'm, if that's how I've got 60% of the followers that I have, I'll take it. I'll take it, Mike. I really appreciate it. Thanks for being on with us. All right, Paul, take care.